The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning. You found Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Donnelly. And normally, Carrie Waddell is joining us, uh, but today she's got the weekend off. So I'll be doing it solo. And are you this far in 2020 comfortably numb? Or maybe uncomfortably numb? So it's been quite a year, and we've got the, you know, the great debate coming up. On Tuesday in Cleveland at 9 p.m., you know, 90 minute. And so a lot of uh, the whole world, I think, is going to be looking at that. And Chris Wallace, of course, announced the six topics that were going to be that he was going to bring up at the debate. And. Is that protocol? I, I don't remember that, uh, uh, previously on any of the presidential debate where the moderator, well ahead of the debate, announced exactly what he was going to bring up. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, not that I've watched every single presidential debate, but I've, I've tried to watch a lot of them. And I just don't remember that. You know, so we have the six categories. So maybe this is a new precedence. I don't know. But we have. So, you know, Trump and Biden records. The Supreme Court, COVID-19, the economy, race and violence in our cities, and the sixth one, the integrity of the election. So I'll ask, let's start a little game, right? Carrie's not here to play the game with me, but you can play at home. Um, of those six, which do you think Chris Wallace will begin with? Hmm. Which do you, you know, because obviously, like I said, this is going to have world audience. You know, the, the whole world is going to be checking in on this debate. And obviously, Chris, the first debate of the Rona year, maybe the most important election, a lot of people said in a long time. So, you know, he wants to come out of the box with a with a gangbuster question. So which do you of those six do you think he's going to lead with? Is it the COVID-19? Okay. Um, you know, which could be, you know, the the controversy over the accelerated vaccine. Right. And 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 who and the conspiracy theories about why, you know, they're accelerating the vaccine and what and what the FTC is threatening to do and what the World Health Organization is doing and what the CDC, you know, CDC, all these uh, governmental agencies. And, and they seem to be different opinions and we're getting different stories. And is it all just political? Is it all about the money? Okay, that's an important issue. Obviously, you can't. Mm, what about the Supreme Court? You know, I mean, I, I don't need to tell you how much controversy has started over that. You know, and, and you know, and how that's going to play out. Um, so, so that could be it. Um, the economy, the you know, you know, is the economy stupid? Are we back to that? Um, you know, certainly, you know, could that include, you know, the, the possibility of another stimulus bill? Um, you know, a discussion about that, a discussion about the super V-shaped recovery. Um, and is that happening or isn't that happening? Um, so we could talk about that. Um, but I, I don't think if I was going to make a bet, um, I think I'm going to say the integrity of the election. I, you know, I think he is going to have to come out of the gate and, you know, say that and, and you know, and, and throw the question right out there. Not that other 
reporters or interviews or press conferences, the question hasn't been thrown out about to each Joe Biden and Donald Trump, um, you know, the idea of, well, are you going to accept the results? You know, a peaceful, uh, you know, transition. And, you know, there's and I and I think, you know, that so I'm, I'm going to say that I mean, and for Americans, I, you know, voters, I, you know, your, your choice couldn't be clearer in this election. Right. I mean, you have uh, Joe Biden summed up Trump in uh, the, 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 the two words, climate arsonist. Hmm. And, and, and Trump, you know, summed up Biden the other day. And I think it was in Pittsburgh when he was doing one of his rallies. Um, you know, Biden, you know, is against oil, guns and God. Hmm. And so that's what this election, I guess, is coming down to. All right. So let's get started here. This is Financial Food for Thought. My name is Mark Donnelly. Um, Program is provided by the Estate Planning Team Incorporated. Estate Planning Team, we've been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 35 years. And we do it one plan, one family at a time. And you can always contact us. We offer a free consultation. And in the, in the year of the Rona, that can either be uh, in person, face-to-face, with masks and social distancing, or it could be uh, if you're more comfortable over the phone. And, uh, you know, and, and that's what I, I would say most of the people contacting us right now are most comfortable with. Um, you know, that they're, they're just still most comfortable with, you know, just doing things over the phone unless, you know, something absolutely necessary has to be done face-to-face. Um, but, you know, in today's world of all the things that we can do through faxes, the old faxes, if you like that, or email, obviously, is, 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 or PDFs, you know, a lot of that um, today, more, and, and, and a lot of people are comfortable with that as well. Um, so, yeah, I still think you can get things accomplished without face-to-face meetings. Um, so if you would like a free consultation, um, you know, you can just call the office at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Um, or you can just go to our website and that's financialfoodforthought.com. That's just one string. Very easy to remember. A lot to type out. <laughs> financialfoodforthought.com. And you can sign up for a consultation there. You can also look at all the other, you know, uh, tools and, and information we have on the website, including, by the way, um, you can listen to or there's a button you can get to the podcast. So, you know, the, this radio show program that we've been doing for many, many years um, are, you know, a good a good bank of them. The radio station, you know, keeps a um, keeps the podcast and we have a link up button that you can go from our website and, and go back and listen to any of the previous shows going back. Oh, I don't know. There's got to be I don't know if there's quite a year's back, but it's at least six, seven months. Anyways, maybe even longer. I'll have to check on that. Um, so um, the estate planning team, like I said, you know, we, we um, who we are, if you're not familiar with us, um, we're financial planners. You know, if we talk about maybe the five professionals that you may hire to help you build whatever you want to call it today, whether it be a uh, financial plan, a retirement plan, an estate plan, pre-retirement plan. Um, the idea is, you know, who, if you're looking for a professional to help you, you could talk about the attorneys, you know, who, who are going to draft your legal documents. Very important. You could talk about uh, a, a tax preparer if you're using someone professionally to do your income taxes. Um, you could talk about the investment advisor who you're hiring to manage your uh, stocks and bonds and, and mutual funds and things like that. Could be an insurance agent, a professional who's helping you with, uh, could be health insurance, life insurance, uh, long-term care insurance, or one of the hybrids, um, or the fixed annuities, you know, any of those things. Or the fifth one, which we consider ourselves as the estate planning team, financial planners, where, you know, basically what we do is build financial models and, you know, and using, you know, our best assumptions, you know, for uh, future income and expenses and, and using conservative and realistic assumptions and then looking out into the future and trying to get a model that says, OK, the, if we go down this path, you know, and, and this is where we're say we're going to retire and we're going to look at, you know, what pension elections you may have or what when Social Security elections, Social Security income elections you may want to look at. 
and we use the uh, the most updated financial tools and and robots to help us model things out so it leaves you in a decision making mode you know where you're not just um you know flying by uh the seat of your pants <laughs> you know or it also puts you in a position that if you've got a financial model and it's updated and it's and 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 it's working when life throws you a curveball and and you know 2020 is you know I don't have to talk to anybody about curveballs right um, you know, you don't make a knee jerk reaction and say, okay, I, I can't do this or I have to do that without having any idea of judging or, or, you know, um, you know, how, how that change is going to affect the longevity of your plan. All right. Because, you know, you, you may have a pretty good idea of, you know, how much money you need to spend in the next 12, maybe even 24 months. Um, and you have a pretty good idea of where the cash flow is going to come to do that. But h- how many of us can keep, a, you know, how long is your retirement period going to be? Do I hear 20, 25, 30 years? Can we keep 30 years of cash flows in our head? No, obviously, that gets pretty difficult. But the robots can, right? And so it can, it can project out. So what you're, what you're doing with the modeling is saying, okay, these are my best assumptions today, and if I project these out, where am I going? And if I don't like where I'm going, now I come back and say, what adjustments do I need to make so I'm on track? Okay, and so that could be, if you haven't retired yet, that could be, well, do I need to work longer? Or let's say your plan A goes the other way. Let's say you're not running out of money by the age, uh, whatever age you told the robot you wanted your money lasting to, uh, 90, 95, do I hear 100, right? Um, but the idea is, let's say the robot's saying, hey, you know, Mr. Smith, you have a run out of money. It's You're 95 and you still have this much amount, you know, projected, you know, be based on conservative, realistic assumptions. You may say, hmm, maybe I can retire earlier than what I thought. Isn't that a concept, right? So, you know, so it's it's that type of um, working tool that we're, we're saying modeling. And, you know, we've been helping clients, as I said, for over 35 years. And what we found a long time ago is that, yeah, sometimes the new client would come in and they might have tried to run a financial plan. Maybe they use something on the Internet. Maybe they used their own Excel program, but they they left it. They just did one case. And um, or they or they did it on the Internet and they got a 35 page, you know, report, a Monte Carlo analysis or something that said, oh, Mr. Smith, you have an 84 percent chance of making your plan work. And they're like, well, what does that tell me? Is that good or bad? Or they really know what they should adjust. Well, does it need to be 100? And I guess 90 chance is better than 88 or whatever. But, you know, or am I still okay if, if, you know, with a 22 percent chance of failure? And basically that whole failure was based on historical performance, meaning, well, this is what stocks did in the past. So this is what we're going to assume they do in the future. So, you know, so as opposed to that, we think really more the, 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 the discipline of financial planning is not that you build a model once and put into a sock drawer for 30 years. You know, the idea is that you, you always have a current model based on your best assumptions you can make today. The key is what you realize is that when life, you know, or reality changes an assumption you made in your latest plan you know how to go in and adjust the plan so you're back on track. All right. Um, or another example would be, um, you know, the old adage we always say on this show, you know, you know, oh, all oh, Mark, all models are wrong. Well, yeah, but some are useful. In other words, another way we do is say, okay, you have your plan A. This is what we think is going to happen. But just for fun, we're going to run a plan B. Or sometimes on this show, we call it a plan R, like for a recession or recovery. Or this year, we, the R could stand for Rona. And the idea is saying, okay, I'm going to run a, a duplicate model, keeping all, you know, most of the assumptions the same, but I'm now going to change one of them. Maybe maybe you lost your job and and you have to model in less you know uh, earnings. Um, maybe 
you you suffered in the in the in the stock market you know crash you know back in March and you haven't recovered. Um, maybe you've just decided that you know originally you know you were thinking that your sixty forty portfolio was good to get six percent rate of return, but now in the low interest rate world and that fixed side of that portfolio, not going to be able to do what historically it's done. You got to go in and say, hmm, what if I can only get three or four percent? Okay, would that change my plan substantially? With you know, how does it, in other words, it might not affect your life this year. The question is, how does it affect the longevity of your plan? That's what we want the modeling to project. Now, if that if it does materially affect the longevity of your plan to the negative, then you may again come back and say, okay, I've got to adjust something now so I'm back on track. Um, now, the other thing. Two, um, what we've been talking on this show um, for the last few, uh, last couple of weeks is, is um, estimated tax planning, and this this kind of I, I I touch on this subject, you know, every once in a while, usually around you know when there's a quarterly estimated due date, and of course we just had one on September fifteenth. Um, but it's an issue. It's not maybe the most exciting financial planning topic issue that I've ever discussed on the show, but it's important. And, and the reason I say that is because I can't tell you how many you know new clients coming to see us, especially if they're in that life part of their life cycle where they're going from working to retirement. And they really don't have a concept or a good working knowledge of of estimated tax, you know, planning, you know, because maybe they never had to worry about it when they were working because they always had enough withholding because, you know, quite honestly, with the advance in technology, our our payroll departments, you know, for all the, the companies and, and public workers, um, they do a pretty good job of guesstimating how much withholding should be going on for so you don't you know you're you got yourself covered and maybe you get a small refund or maybe you owe a little bit but a pretty good job and so you know now you can control that as well you can tell them how much withholding you want but a lot of people don't do that they just you know fill out you know maybe a, a quick questionnaire once the robot knows you know are you single married stuff like that you know, and then it's working with the government tax tables, and then it it kind of projects and knows how much withholding, and and usually it, it it does a pretty good job. But when you go into retirement, you don't have that. All right, um, now you've got to come up um, with the calculations. Um, so that's what we've been talking about, and the idea is, um, you know, you can go back and listen to our podcast and try to get a. Um, a little bit of a background on, you know, what we talked about in the first two weeks. I'm not going to repeat everything, but, you know, generally it's just the idea, uh, some of the general concept there is that, you know, we don't necessarily think that getting a big tax refund every year is the best thing you can do for your estimated tax planning. Now, on the other side, um, we're also saying owing too much on April 15th, where you're charged an underestimated interest and or penalty is no good either. You know, so the kind of the general rule is, that, you know, it's OK to owe money on April 15th as long as you don't owe too much. And, you know, so even if you have to pay them, uh, send the, uh, the government a check on April 15th, you won't be charged an underestimated interest and or penalty if you had enough paid in to cover one of your safe harbors. And, you know, that's the previous year safe harbor, the current year safe harbor. So, again, if you want to get caught up on that background, go back into our podcast for the last couple of weeks and you can get caught up. So today it would be our third week and we may even go into another week in this topic. But, you know, so I'll kind of, you know, expand on, you know, what I started at the end of last week's show was the idea of, um, you know, understanding taking kind of a deeper dive into um into whether or not you know what 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 types of income can i elect withholding on when i'm in retirement 
Um, because again, that's one of the things I realized over the years that a lot of new retirees don't really, you know, necessarily have a good working knowledge of that. And sometimes, you know, it comes back to, um, you know, catch them. Um, now, before I do that, I do want a, another tax brief. Um, so part of the CARES Act, you know, that for the coronavirus relief was the idea that the government is going to allow non-itemizers to deduct up to $300 a year for any charitable contributions that they make in 2020. See, because again, a lot of people who are no longer filing Schedule A itemized deductions because they don't have enough to get over the new higher standard deduction, right? So remember, part of President Trump's tax law, tax you know, cuts and jobs act of 2017, increased the standard deduction. Well, because of that, the great percentage of American taxpayers aren't itemizing. So they're really, they're not getting a deduction for any charitable contributions that they're making. So this was just a little, you know, uh, measure that the government put in to try to get people because they knew the charities were going to be looking for donations in the year of the Rona. And, you know, but they wanted and but they knew a lot of people weren't, you know, getting any benefit, any tax benefit. So incentive to kind of keep that ball rolling. They said, OK, you'll be able to write off three hundred dollars. And they're going to have to create a line for it. It'll be, you know, above the line deduction, meaning above AGI. Um, And now but but here's the issue. At the time when the law was, you know, written, there was a question of whether, okay, it wasn't exactly clear whether a married couple filing jointly would be able to write off three hundred dollars or three hundred dollars each husband and wife to get to six hundred dollars. And at one time, at least I thought, you know, the opinion was that, yes, married filing jointly would be able to write off $600. Well, I guess maybe not. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, you know, now we've seen other, you know, and certainly more smart people on, on looking at tax law history and, and the way the law was written than me, certainly. Um, now they're kind of saying, well, we don't think that's the case. All right. Um, so, you know, Kippingler, who, who um, writes a, a wonderful tax letter, um, they came out recently and said, no, in general, only filers, you know, you know, just to repeat, I'll repeat what I said, you know, in general, only filers who itemize Schedule A can deduct donations made by the charity. The CARES Act enacted in March gives temporary relief by allowing non-itemizers um, to claim an above-the-line deduction up to $300 of charitable cash contributions that they make in 2020. Okay, we believe, based on legislative history, that the $300 write-off is per return, meaning that couples who file jointly can deduct only $300, not $600. Note, there are bipartisan proposals to further expand this break. One idea, which could make it into a stimulus package, would make the easing permanent and increase the amounts to $600 for single filers and $1,200 for joint filers. So, you know, so stay tuned. But I guess right now we'll just say uh, our conservative realistic assumption is that, you know, you'll only be able to write off $300. Um, All right. So let's see before um, again. So you're listening to Mark Donnelly and um, Carrie Waddell is, you know, off this weekend. But you can always uh, contact us. As I said, if you want to get a hold of us. At the home office, you can just call 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Or you can visit our website, financialfoodforthought.com. And on there, you can request a consultation, and whether you want it by telephone or in person. And then, uh, Carrie, if you if you leave us an email, um, it goes directly to Carrie, and she'll get back to you on Monday morning. So speaking of the stimulus packet, um, all right, so last week we were talking about the Problem Solvers Caucus. Remember, that was a group that's 50, um, you know, House members 
you know, made up of 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans, like a bipartisan group, that they're supposed to, you know, work together across the aisle to come up with, you know, bills or, or not bills, they, they, they legislative, you know, documents that hopefully becomes a bill to try to, uh, you know, get moving if, if we're at a stalemate because of the Democratic-Republican, you know, issue. And so, you know, and so I talked a lot about that in last week's show. And, you know, that was about a $1.9 trillion package. And we, we said we really didn't think it was going to go anywhere, um, and it was more maybe of a political event or a political, you know, chess piece move um, before the election or before, you know, Congress breaks and, and starts going home to the campaign for the election. And it's really just, you know, that type of check the box where, you know, the, these these 25 Republicans and these 25 Democrats can go back to their constituents and say, see, I'm voted for, you know, a package. I'm a good guy. And I went across the aisle and we came up with a bipartisan plan. Unfortunately, no one it didn't become a bill, you know, because, you know, because Nancy Pelosi quashed it. Right. Um, and, you know, and so that's, you know, that was so a lot of people think it was just a political stunt. But lo and behold, we have at the end of this week, we 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 get, you know, knowledge that uh, actually maybe Nancy Pelosi um, is working on a new bill. You know, remember, they passed the House passed the Heroes Act back earlier in the year. That was that three trillion dollar package. Um, you know, and that didn't go anywhere. So now apparently they're working on what a, a skinny heroes act where they want to knock that down to 2.3 trillion. Remember she's, she's coming. So she may be, uh, you know, playing the stare down game. She, I guess, blink first. Okay. Because, you know, she's saying, okay, I'm, we're now willing to come down to 2.3 trillion, but she also wants, you know, Trump and, or the Senate, you know, the Democrats, um, I mean, the Republicans in the Senate who have majority of the Senate to come up from their, you know, one trillion, you know, or that they're that they may want to go, um, you know, and, and up to the, you know, two trillion. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, but we're, the reason why we're keeping our eyes on that is because, again, if that does happen, that could mean um, that you may get a second round of stimulus checks before the end of the year. Um, and kind of, you know, and kind of go from there. Um, all right. So let's see, what do I want to talk about before? Well, I guess I can talk about estimated taxes. I wanted to talk a little bit about the vaccine, but I don't know, maybe I'll come back to that next week. Uh, are you going to get the vaccine if it, if it's, uh, released, um, you know, there's a lot of controversy over that. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, how safe is it going to be if they rush it, you know, and, and they get it out? I mean, we always heard, at least the beginning of the Rona, we heard that it takes years to test a vaccine before they would release it to the, the, the mass, the masses. So how all of a sudden can they cut out years of this process and it still be safe? Um, well, you know, it's it, it, it's something it, it's something to do. Um, and and. You know, in, in, a, in a press briefing, you know, Scott. Atlas, who's the who's the new, you know, Trump's new doctor who who goes out at the press briefings. Um, he was kind of talking about it. Um, when younger, healthier people get the disease, they don't have a problem with the disease. Low risk groups getting the infection is not a problem. In fact, it's a positive. Can you say what you meant by that? Is, is, is that sure. to indicate that? Um, uh, you oh, sure. Spreading sort of among younger folks who are less susceptible. No, I, I think I've answered this multiple times, but I have never advocated a herd immunity strategy. There's never been a desire to have cases spread through the community. That's a false story. I've denied that multiple times, and I, I just don't. That, that false story doesn't seem to die, but that's the fact. Description. 
of immunity coming when people get an infection is not something I'm inventing. That, but that has never been a policy that I have advocated. There has never been a policy uh, recommendation to pursue that to the president, and that is not the president's policy. You had 60,000 cases yesterday. Do you have any sense, or does the task force have any sense of what is driving that? That's the highest level in six weeks. Why are we still seeing cases at this level? Yeah, well, I mean, there, there are several things to look at, but the case metric is not the most important metric. The most important metric are the following. Hospitalizations per day are coming down. Deaths That's good. Deaths per day are coming down. Number of people in the hospital is 47% lower than it was since its peak. The number of people sick with COVID illness coming to the emergency room is 1.6%, as the president said, the lowest number since the pandemic began. All of these trends are positive. The cases per se are defined by tests. If I tested a million people, I would see more cases. The only thing that counts so this is what the, the, people are the saying. Problems with the cases. So when we see that Do we need better testing? Are coming down, people are not dying as much. These and are I, all very positive. And I say we do exactly because we the t- good testing will get everything opened up again. What a dumb question. No, I saw the story in uh, really a, a super journalism story. Uh, Dr. Burks speaks for herself, but that, that's a completely false story, and she denied it today. So, it's been, I mean, it's, it's completely been, false. It's been seven, it's been seven weeks since she They're all screaming at Here we go. Yeah, so this is a, a very important uh, question. The, the vaccine is proceeding uh, at an extremely rapid pace, as we know. Everything's being done simultaneously so that the logistics and the uh, technology in place to deliver it is ready to go, as everyone knows. And it depends on the data, okay? The, the data... Data dependent. Where have we heard that before? Group hmm. of experts German Paul. The data, data Safety Monitoring Board. And when we have enough cases, that when they see enough cases that have shown a statistically significant difference... They will tell the company, and then the company will say, look at it and say, yes, we have it, and we think that that has a good chance of happening in October. Okay, in October. So, you know, so what he was getting at was that, um, you know, that it's it's okay. You know, the people are are saying, well, they think the vaccine is going to be unsafe because they're rushing it through. That's why they're saying, how else could they cut off a year or two years of testing and still, you know, they must be taking shortcuts. And, and what he's saying is, no, Operation Warp Speed was what Trump, you know, co- coined it. Um, it's, it's not what they're doing. What they've never done before is, you know, they're, they're working on everything in the background while they're developing the, the appropriate vaccine or an effective vaccine. So in the olden days, they would come up with the solution, the vaccine first. And then once they knew they had it, then they would go about to build the uh, infrastructure that needed to to create and, and duplicate and, and make all the vaccines for public you know, uh, use. So that's what took another year or two, right? So what they're doing now is they're doing it simultaneously, as he said. Okay, um, so they're, they're, you know, and China's doing this um, as well. They're, they're, while they're developing the vaccine, they're already building the infrastructure and they're sinking money in it. See, this is a financial risk. They're willing to spend money to build the infrastructure before they have a vaccine. But they're so confident that they will have a vaccine, they think it's money well spent. Because now the infrastructure will be waiting, ready to go, when the vaccine is approved. All right? Um, and so that's, that's why, you know, they can, you know, they're saying we can get the vaccine out so much quicker than what we've had in the past. You know, so accelerating the timeline doesn't necessarily mean we are cutting corners on efficiency or safety. You know, they're just we're just speeding things up. Um, you know, the, the, the U.S. government and major pharmaceutical companies are working together to build the manufacturing capacity necessary for widespread production before the vaccine is even improved. All right. Um, so rather than eliminating steps from from traditional development timelines, steps will be proceed simultaneously. Okay. Um, 
Okay. And that's, um, so, you know, the Department of Health and Human Services, you know, in order to proceed simultaneously, teams are authorized manufacturing of the vaccine to begin while the testing process is still underway. Okay. Um, the head start on manufacturing only increases the financial risk, not the product risk. Um, you know, we've already manufactured hundreds of thousands of doses. Um, so the company will be ready once it gets the FDA approval. Um, Pfizer rejected, you know, Pfizer, one of the big, you know, players in this, even rejected federal dollars for its vaccine candidate, opting instead to fully absorb the financial hit if the vaccine fails. Okay, because the decision was an attempt to shield the company from the politics involved with all this. Um, you know, so, so you know, so the, the question is, are you going to take the vaccine if it comes out in October? That'd be an October surprise, wouldn't it? Um, how's that Russian vaccine working? Remember the, the, the Putin came, you know, is already, uh, you know, what do they call it? Sputnik, uh, Sputnik V. <laughs> Sputnik, I think it's V because it's, uh, it's not Roman numeral five. I think it's V, right? Because I think Sputnik five, you know, already, you know, blasted off back in the 60s. So I think it's Sputnik V, right? Remember he was going to give it to his daughter first, one of the first ones. Um, how's that doing? Um well, first batch of public data released from Russian scientists um, showed that it was safe and produced an immune response. Um, no one knows yet whether it prevents the coronavirus infections. Um, you know, uh, John Hopkins, Bloomberg School of Public Health, uh, said the science looks like it was done impeccably well. Um, uh, still caution that no one will know if Sputnik V is safe and effective until the larger trials are completed. Um, we should welcome a Russian vaccine if it's successful and should welcome other vaccines if they're successful as well. Of course, China's working on theirs. China's saying they're going to have 610 million doses ready to go by the end of the year, and they're, and they're projecting they'll have another billion ready in 2021. Okay. Um, by the way, I mentioned Pfizer, the other big American pharmaceutical, Moderna. They're both saying that, yeah, they're they're wrapping up that they, they could each produce, you know, a billion doses in 2021. Um, you know, the World Health the, the World Health Organization, you know, who um, their goal is that they want you know two billion vaccinated, um, you know, quickly across the globe. Um, how it all works, I have no idea. Um, you know, the, 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 the Sputnik V vaccine um, stimulates the immune system by coaxing a person's cells to make a protein normally found on the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. The researchers loaded the gene for this viral protein into a second virus called an endovirus. Or endo, endovirus. Hmm. Does this sound like you were ready to rush out and get this in October? Uh, when injected into the arm, the uh, adenovirus slips into muscle cells. It has been genetically engineered so that it cannot make copies of itself or cause illness. But once it delivers the coronavirus gene into a cell, the cell starts making the protein. Wow. Um, beyond me. Um, but I guess, you know, you know, so... A lot of people are going to have to make that decision unless the government forces it. But we don't know if that's going to be the case. Um, all right. So you're listening to Mark Donnelly. This is Financial Food for Thought. A um, lot of lot of issues that, you know, we're worried about in 2020, the year of the Rona. I, I mean, is 2020 going to go down as one of the worst years in a century? I mean, between the... The volatility of the stock market, the crash, the recession, the unemployment, the shutdown, the the two hundred thousand um, deaths in in the U.S. Um, we might have some of you might have lost loved ones, um, you know, or know somebody who has, um, you know, not having the vaccine yet, um, you know, not knowing if if we're going to have uh, the super V shape recovery. Now we've got, and then, you know, we've got the end of the year. And I don't think, you know, as much as a lot of us are, you know, hoping 2020 just goes away, I don't think it's going to go away quietly. Um, we still have yet, other than the other things I just mentioned, you know, we've got the election um, on November 3rd. 
Um, you know, we've got the uh, on November 10th, I think the Supreme Court's supposed to take up the uh, the argument on Obamacare, you know, the Affordable Health Care Act and whether it's going to be constitutionally, you know, accepted or thrown out. Um, then we've got a potential government shutdown coming on December 10th. Um, it just keeps coming. So hang in there. And, and, you know, and that's why we're saying that, you know, if you've built a financial plan um, and under your plan A, everything is looking fine, you know, uh, you know, are, should you or, you know, does it make sense to maybe, you know, run a plan R that says, OK, what happens if things don't go as well as I, my projections in plan A? What happens if we um, do have a double dip recession? What happens if we do have a um, volatile market, you know, around the election? Um, what happens if we have a complete change in, in, um, in you know, con- Congress and White House uh, tax agenda, you know, based on election results? Um, as well as, you know, what happens if uh, we don't see the violence that's happening in our cities quell, you know, or if, if they continue? So, you know, so all that, you know, could you say, okay, is our financial uh, times going to be good or bad? And the idea of building a plan R is just saying, well, how do I prepare? How do I protect my family from any of those things, you know, happening? And, you know, we've talked a lot about that in the show, you know, the idea that, um, yeah, you know, you, you can't time the stock market, but, you know, you can decide how much of your money's in stocks, right? Um, and, you know, also one of your first defenses, if you're, if that's what you're worried about, another financial collapse, a double dip recession, um, is the idea that you have an adequate cash reserve built up because that's one of your first defenses against, a you know, a, a decreasing stock market. You know, the idea that, you still can, you know, you have an idea of how much you need to spend in the next couple of years, and especially if you have big tickets or life-changing events in there, if you're planning on retiring or buying a new house or have maybe have a, a wedding you got to pay for one of your children or uh, college education, you know, any, any of these, you know, big ticket uh, cash items. And, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you have to sell your stocks low to get those things accomplished if you don't want to. I mean, if you don't want to sell low, you still want to get those things accomplished. So um, the idea is saying, okay, as as opposed to make, you know, being caught in that predicament, that's the idea of the cash reserve. Do you have enough in the cash reserve that says I can still cover those items? That gives me time, you know, for my stocks to recover. And by the way, um, you, you know, it also saves you from pushing the panic button as soon as you see the market drop, you know, and, and, and if you, and if you are, you know, and if you've done that in the past or, you know, you're, or you're thinking that, you, you know, if you get, if you lose uh, sleep at night because you're worried about the stock market, perhaps you do have too much in the stock market or you don't have that cash reserve. See, my clients who have the cash reserve, okay, um, they are less worried okay they're less worried about a market drop because they know their their money that's invested in growth assets is there for the long haul and they do believe that stock prices for example will be higher 20 years from now than they are today Um, also they know that even if they have fluctuations in the daily pricing they're still you know collecting the dividends that those stocks or mutual funds are paying um so we kind of go from there. Um, all right. So one of the things that um, I talked about in this ongoing series of estimated tax planning is, you know, the idea of, um, you know, understanding uh, when you go into retirement, you know, and you're saying, well, I, while I was working, I always had my withholding taxes, done through my payroll department on my wages. So I never really thought too much about it. All right. But when you go into retirement, mm, now, Mark, I've got to come up with that somehow. Now you can make quarterly estimates. Okay. That's, you know, we've talked about that uh, on the previous shows, you know, the idea you make four quarterly estimates. 
But that can be a hassle, especially, you know, in retirement, because you got to come up with that silly coupon and then got to write out a check if you're not doing electronically. And then you got to, you know, put an envelope together and then you got to put a stamp on the envelope um, and then get it off timely and, and then keep track of it. And then, you know, you know, then then when you go to get your tax return prepared and your and your tax preparer says, OK, um, I want to see copies of your uh, what you paid in estimated taxes. And you say, oh, I didn't keep a copy of those darn things. I, this is what I think I paid. And it's like, no, I really need proof of what you pay. I mean, I don't want to put down. And so then you're getting out your check register and saying, hmm, where did I write a check back April 15? You know, you, you get the picture. So a lot of people would rather just do it through withholding, you know, and having the withholding on something. So let's talk about that. So obviously, when you're uh, working, you W-2 wages, they, you know, withholding is available, both at the federal and the state level. Okay. Um, and, you know, again, if, if, if they're not withholding the right amount, if your payroll is not doing a good job for whatever reason, it might not be the payroll department's fault. The payroll department doesn't know if you're creating a lot of other income that you're not having any withholding on. You know, so they're only doing withholding on what the income that they know about. So you may have to change and to change that you fill out a W-4 form. OK. And with your payroll department and to adjust the withholding. How about pensions? Let's say you're going to retirement. Let's say you're one of the lucky ones who are getting a pension. Well, yeah, most pensions, uh, well, I mean, pen- all pensions pretty much support federal withholding, and most will support Ohio withholding. Now, I say most, er, Ohio, because Ohio doesn't necessarily, um, you know, Ohio doesn't require custodians to support Ohio withholding. Um, for example, IRA distributions or something like that. Um, but, you know, many still do. And pensions, yeah, normally pensions are going to support Ohio withholding. And it's the same thing. It's almost like W-2 income. You know, you, you, if you wanted to change that, you fill out their forms and say, I want more or less withholding. Um, how about Social Security? So let's say, you know, um, now that surprises some people going to retirement because generally, or the default isn't that there's going to be withholding on your Social Security benefits. Okay, you have to request that. Okay, Um, you know, and 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 Social Security does not support state withholding. Um, You know, they will support federal withholding, but you have to request it. Okay, if you want to do that, you've got to get the government uh, or the IRS form W-4V. Okay, the voluntary withholding request. And then you would complete that form and then you select a percentage of the monthly benefit amount that you want withheld. Okay, Um, so you you can't give them a dollar amount. You can't say, I want, you know, a thousand dollars of withholding. No, you have to give a percentage Um, and they and you can't just pick any percentage. They give you four options (laughs) that you could do. You could elect seven percent, 10 percent, 12 percent or 22 percent. Okay, you check one of those boxes. And then and then they will, you know, Social Security, then we'll start doing federal withholding. Um, and, and, you know, again, working with our clients over the decades, generally our clients don't either, they don't know they can do that or certainly they're not doing that. Um, but yeah, but we certainly, we talked to them about that if they have a withholding issue in retirement. Okay. Um, now, um, how about qualified plans? Okay. So we can talk about, um, let's talk about, um, you know, we can talk about the, the company retirement plans. Those are the 401ks and 403bs and the 457s. Okay. We can also talk about IRAs. They could be, you know, the, the, the your IRA, the simple, the SAP IRA, you know, those types of things. You know, the idea that, okay, that's marked, that's, I don't get a pension. That's where I'm going to create my retirement income. I'm going to st- obviously start taking distributions out of my 401k or my, you know, Ohio deferred comp or my IRA. Let's stay with the uh, company retirement plans. So let's leave IRA separate for a moment. Let's talk about all those other guys. So a lot of people get surprised that when they find out that there uh, could be a 20% mandatory federal withholding on any time they take money out of a 401k. Okay. Um, And that's not, you know, the company trying to, you know, impose that on you. That's kind of like a government rule. All right. Um, so now a lot of times the 20 percent figure isn't what they want withheld. 
<laughs> maybe they want zero. Maybe they want more. You can always do more. But, you know, the, the bigger problem is when they don't want 20 percent because they're nowhere in a 20 percent tax bracket. All right. And so they end up waiting around to get a big refund, which we said maybe not be the goal of your estimated tax planning. All right. So, you know, that has that has, you know, uh, surprised some people. You know, they didn't realize that or they didn't, you know, figure that in when they were doing their retirement estimated tax planning. Now, IRAs, for example, do not have that 20 percent mandatory federal withholding. Okay. In fact, that's I've, I've I've seen over the years that's some reasons why the client rolled the four hundred one k into an, an IRA, so they wouldn't have that twenty percent mandatory federal withholding uh, to deal with. Okay. Um, now, how about Ohio withholding? Hmm. Again, so Ohio isn't going to require the IRA custodian to support Ohio withholding. Or they're not going to require your company 401k plan custodian to support Ohio withholding. So if Ohio doesn't require it, the question is, does yours support it? And if you don't know that, you want to find that out. In other words, if they do support Ohio withholding, it's really a customer service. It's not because they're required to. Now, we saw this become a bigger issue, you know, you know, especially, you know, after we had the lost decade, right, when we had, you know, we had two major drops, um, you know, in the markets that really hurt the financial, you know, the investment advice, you know, the, the, the um, you know, the investment world. And so they had to cut back on staff, you know, in these in these deep recessions, especially the Great Recession. And so some of the customer services kind of went away. All right. Um, now, um, so, so in other words, you've got to find out, you know, and by the way, this is what you don't ask your neighbor if his IRA custodian supports Ohio withholding because you you got to find out if yours does. All right. Um, now, and you only need one, right? Let's say you've got a 401k and you got an IRA and your spouse has got a 457 and, and whatever, and, and you're, you're filing a joint return. You just need to find, you know, hey, does one of our custodians support Ohio withholding? Because as long as one of them does, you know, that's the, we, we, we can bank on that. Um, now, um, other times you, you have other ones that have got, Strange rules, you know, in other words, so I've seen, and again, I can't make this stuff up. I've seen custodians where the client doesn't need any federal withholding, but does need Ohio withholding. So they go to their custodian and say, hey, I, I, I need to take out, you know, X amount of, the, you know, a distribution and I want no federal withholding, but I want 5% Ohio withholding. And then they get, you know, the, the crickets and then it comes back and says, well, no, Mr. Smith, actually... We have to have some federal withholding if we want to do any Ohio withholding. Okay, whatever. We just need to know that. Other times, you have a situation where, yeah, there's not a 20% mandatory federal withholding, but you can elect zero. Or if you want any withholding, it's got to be at least 10%. In other words, you can't take 5%. I'll keep going on this subject as we go on. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Tune in next week for more financial food for thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.